Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 28, the Leandro Barbosa of the Walder Sportscast. Thank you so much for joining me once again. As always, I'm your host, Chris Walder, and if you like, feel free to follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Walder Sports, and please leave a rating and review if you like what you hear today, because it helps out the show a great deal. So it's been a fairly newsworthy week to say the least. Here in Ontario, we've been put in another lockdown by our government, so I won't be going anywhere anytime soon. We're obviously trying to get the COVID-19 cases down and clear out space in the hospitals. We also learned on Wednesday that U.S. President Donald Trump was impeached for a second time, so more impeachments than terms in office, which you love to see. And obviously on a far lesser scale, unless you're a basketball fan, of course. James Harden, the disgruntled Mark Henry-looking superstar himself, was finally moved to the Brooklyn Nets to comprise a new Big Three with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, if Kyrie decides to come back to work, of course. So joining me on today's show to discuss all of those subjects and more is Joshua Howe, who you may know from his writing which has been featured on Raptors Republic, Sportsnet, and a number of other sites. A surprisingly tall young man as well. I remember when I was at the score in Toronto and he came down for an interview, I believe, and he walked past my desk. I couldn't believe how tall this guy was. I'll probably have to bring that up with him. But before I bring Josh on, I encourage you to check out my last episode when I invited Dishes and Dimes co-host and Raptors Twitter legend Amon onto the program for a second time. We talked Raptors basketball, of course, including the team's horrid start, as well as the recent attack of the U.S. Capitol building, and even some modern family talk as well. So go give that show a listen if you haven't had a chance to do so. With all of that being said, though, Joshua Howe will be joining me after this quick break, so keep it locked. Joshua Howe, whose writing you can find on Sportsnet, Raptors Republic, and many other outlets. He's also the host of the Writer's Write podcast, which I was a guest on back in 2018. Josh, thanks for joining me today, buddy. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, awesome to be here. So we're just a few days into this new state of emergency here in the province. We're all pretty much being told to, to stay home right now, although there's a ton of loopholes to probably work around it. But We've obviously been dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic for a long time now, Josh. And But but how are you holding up during these times? And where's your mindset at currently with, with the cases rising and the restrictions getting pretty harsh? It's it's weird, man. It's It's been a strange year in terms of mental health-wise, I think, obviously, for most people, um, including myself. And uh, I found it uh, difficult to, I think, find joy in some of the same things I usually find joy in or have in the past. Uh, right. A lot of coping mechanisms that I use are unavailable uh, to me at the moment, like they are to a lot of people, just because of the state of the pandemic. And, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, um, I'm, I'm pretty busy these days, so I don't tweet as much as I used to, which is, you know, you, some people might think it's funny considering I still tweet a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like my opinion on, you know, things like the rising cases and stuff, I mean, 
I wish I could say I was surprised. I'm not. It seems so long ago that back in the summer, there was like, you know, we were around 100 something cases or even below that. And and people were a lot more, um, I think the vibe was a lot different in, in this city in particular, in Toronto, um, just about how nervous people were because it was so new still and all of that. And now here we are with the cases, you know, exponentially worse. And uh, the vibe is completely different. Uh, just people kind of back to trying to live their day-to-day lives. And, you know, you see a lot of people adhering to the rules, but you see still too many people that aren't. And uh, that's a bit frustrating. So honestly, I'm at this point, I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm not really leaving my apartment much at all. So um, it's been a lot of reading for me, a lot of reading. Kind of correlating that to everything we're seeing in the NBA these days, of course. It it was reported on Wednesday, Josh, that 16 of the 497 players tested since January 6th tested positive for the virus. And we're starting to see more and more players miss time due to the health and safety protocols. Games are getting postponed. And the the NBA obviously doesn't have the luxury of being in the bubble any longer, nor do I think that players would have even agreed to participate another season. Josh, how would you kind of go about grading the NBA's handling, especially early on in this season, of all of these new cases, moving back games? And do you think we're almost on the verge of, you know, in your opinion, of the league shutting down potentially for a stretch because of all this? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, if I, if it was my choice, um, this is why I'm not in any of these positions. But I mean, I, I'm not sure I wouldn't have already decided to at least, you know, pause the season until the vaccines roll out. Like, I mean, it's tough too, right? Because you you wonder what the general opinion sort of is on, you know, if athletes receive the vaccine before uh, people who need it most, the more vulnerable population, uh, how that would go over. Right. You know, there's some some people making the arguments already that there's so many vaccines that are being wasted currently, which is mind boggling in itself, that they would rather just see, you know, um, all these athletes who are presently playing because the league has decided to go forward with the season and uh, they're all getting COVID and uh, or having to be stuck in the protocols, at least uh, from contact tracing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people would just rather see, well, if they're all, there's all these uh, vaccines getting wasted, then just give them to the athletes. And if that's if it's easier for them to acquire and actually just distribute and if they can do that at a quicker process, then maybe just do that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm always in favor of making sure that the most vulnerable people are the ones who receive the vaccine first, of course. Um, but in terms of the league going forward, yeah, I mean, personally, I would put it on pause. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I think it would have to be like catastrophic, like super yeah. overwhelming for the league to actually stop. Because I mean, the reason the league started up again is fiscal based, right? Money. That's why they started doing this again. It's why the bubble was put together in the first place. And, you know, they can always say all the nice uh, things we hear about, you know, sport brings us together and, and all these things. And of course it does, right? Like that's not a lie. Sport helps people's mental health. Um, it's something we can rally around together. Uh, you know, some people go on Twitter and they have all their people that they know on there and they watch a basketball game. And that's really good for them mentally. Mm-hmm. And so that stuff is great, but it's not the driving force of why all these things are happening. And it, that's just an inherently problematic, you know, issue. So it, it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to balance the reality with, you know, what you think should happen um, yeah. and uh, kind of just live with it, I guess. But I mean, some of the, I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of the um, explanations they've given 
for like what is close contact and what is not and things like that and and guys being on the court and and all that there are those some of those are a little silly in my opinion uh, just the explanations for those things but uh yeah i mean you know they they had their meeting and we're trying to tighten the protocols and all that so I mean, it's, I do think they care, like the league cares about the players, like Adam Silver cares about the players. It's clear. There's just, you know, no way they're going to stop doing what they need to do uh, financially. So yeah, it's really just balancing out those two things, I guess. Well, you know, you can bang down in the paint all game long. You can, you can get physical, but no more dapping up before and after games. And and they want to try and keep the, the players as far away as possible, but you know, you realize that during a game, they're right in each other's faces for a majority of the game. So it, it's kind of a weird rules mm-hmm. and regulations that they're putting into place here. But it's yeah. it's fu- it's funny too because we heard recently through ESPN Zach Lowe's podcast that he hadn't heard from one person in the league who's mm-hmm. enjoyed the season so far, and mm-hmm. obviously a lot of factors play into that. But as an onlooker, Josh, both as an analyst of the game and, you know, simply as a fan, where's your enjoyment level been this season watching all of the games and taking into account all of the changes to the aesthetics of the games and, and just knowing the risks the players are at? Yeah, I would say uh, since I've started sort of uh, covering the NBA more seriously, which I've uh, been for like a few seasons now um, and really diving in and, uh, you know, analyzing games and, and writing about uh, the Raptors and stuff like that. Uh, this is probably the lowest enjoyment level I've had uh, okay. in all those seasons. Um, just because, I mean, everything is so strange, partly. So it kind of feels like we're in a dystopian world where basketball is still being played, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, which is a weird feeling in itself. And then um, it's just, yeah, the, the risk you know that guys are under out there, that's always a little perturbing to be watching, you know, you sitting there in your home, potentially safe, hopefully safe, and watching guys out there, you know, really in the entertainment business, you know, playing on a court for you to watch and enjoy. And you just know that they're out there at risk of, you know, catching something that could have potentially um, not only career threatening consequences, but also, uh, you know, just in terms of their future health, right? Because there's been so many differing reports of uh, what happens to people uh, who catch COVID and just some long-term effects. And there's a lot of stuff we just still don't know yet, obviously. And, you know, that could be really debilitating going forward. So, you know, all that kind of stuff is kind of swirling in your mind. And it, and it's it's a lot harder to just place all that stuff to the side because it's occupying so much space in your brain. Yeah. Um, to also sit there and be like, okay, but this is still just a basketball game. And I can still just sit here and analyze the game and and try to enjoy it. And, you know, just on top of that, I mean, the team I watch the most and typically write about the most is the Raptors. And <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, as well as I do that the start to this season has been uh, pretty brutal. Yeah, it's been pretty rough, uh, but we are going to talk some Toronto Raptors basketball at some point here, or the Tampa Raptors, uh, based on their mm-hmm, current location, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But <laughs> Josh, obviously the big news this week in the basketball world was James Harden, or, or Mark mm-hmm. Henry, as uh, NBA Twitter has dubbed him with all of the memes, uh, <laughs> getting shipped off to the Brooklyn Nets, you know, with, with Jared Allen and Torian Prince moving to Cleveland, and of course, Karis LeVert heading to the Rockets, and then to Indiana for Victor Oladipo. Just a lot of moving pieces here. And the, mm-hmm. the Rockets also receiving a king's ransom of draft picks and draft swaps for the foreseeable future. Uh, it was inevitable. I mean, that Harden was going to get dealt, especially after those post-game comments, after the second straight loss to the Lakers. And 
Honestly, it would have been a pretty big surprise had he landed anywhere other than Brooklyn or Philadelphia, although I'm sure Raptors fans would probably disagree with that. A lot were hoping that he would somehow make it to the Raptors. Uh, mm. but, but Brooklyn obviously emerged with the best player of this insane deal. But Josh, from the Rockets' perspective, with all of the moves taken into equation, do you think this is the best that franchise could have hoped for in exchange for Harden? Because it also sounds like Philadelphia was pretty reluctant to part with some of their certain pieces there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a um, this or that thing, right, when it comes to this trade. So the reason that they uh, made the Brooklyn deal was because of all the draft compensation. Um, yeah. Because clearly they weren't able to get that from the Sixers, and so instead they were trying to get some more of the uh, Sixers' young assets and uh, like Tyrese Maxey, who just recently had that 39-point game when there were like seven players that the or eight players, I guess, that the yeah. six, Sixers could actually throw out there. And the Sixers didn't want to give him up, so they didn't want to put him in the deal. So inevitably, that whole conversation stalled, and uh, the Rockets just opted to go with the package that would give them the most future control. Yeah. And so it's really just like, how do you weigh those two things? Do you like, do you, would you rather have all that future control, um, you know, in a, in a league where literally anything can change? Like people will say about, right, like a lot of the immediate uh, stuff with the Nets, I mean, you assume the Nets are going to be really good. So some of those picks may not be worth that much, but you never know what can happen in this league, right? Like, especially with a team that has the combined personalities of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Like, who knows what's going to happen to that team, like a season from now or even two seasons from now. And, so yeah, so then the other side of it is the best player they could have gotten would have been Ben Simmons from the Sixers. Yes. And it's kind of just, you know, again, how much do you weigh having that player immediately uh, versus all that draft compensation for the future? And uh, I mean, I guess Houston kind of weighed it and said, well, we can get all that draft compensation. And then we already have this other deal lined up where we can trade Karis LeVert and we can get Victor Oladipo and we can bring him in. And he's not as good as Ben Simmons, uh, but he's a right. former all-star and he's still a high-level talent. He's looked a lot better this season than the season he was first coming back after the uh, ruptured tendon in his knee. And, you know, you compare him with John Wall, you can see how that goes. Victor Oladipo's on an expiring contract. If it doesn't go well, you know, he doesn't have to stay around, obviously. And we all know Tillman for Tita is uh, uh, big on saving money. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little so, bit. So, <laughs> yeah, to put it to put it nicely. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, being below the tax is a, an important thing for that team, at least right now. And so, you know, they got a young player in Oladipo uh, around his prime, right, who, depending on the rest of the season, they'll see how that goes. They got John Wall, who has turned out to be revitalized and looks really good after being out of the league for essentially like two years two and a half years. So that stuff's worked out really well for them. So I guess they just decided to go with, you know, we have those two things um, to sort of stand on right now. And that's not nothing. And then we also have all this massive haul of draft picks for the future. So, you know, if they weren't able to pry away another one of the young assets from the Sixers that they wanted, um, I can see why they made the deal. So from their perspective, I mean, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think they got what they wanted anyway. So then what would be your immediate projections for how this whole Nets experiment is going to play out? Because Kyrie Irving has missed twice as many games as he's played at this point. And we don't know if his heart and his head are into the game currently, although it does sound like he's going to be suiting up this weekend. And we also mm -hmm. know that Spencer Dinwiddie is out for the year, which hurts their depth, of course. 
do you think it's finals or bust or, or championship or bust for this net squad this year or is there no real sense of urgency right now to win it all it's kind of like a you know the next two or three years they have to win at least one ring you would think yeah i mean so typically when a team like this comes together the pressure is immediate and i do think the pressure is immediate here in terms of just the collection of talent um you know it's, it's very the Harden thing is sort of similar to the anthony davis saga in that he wanted out so badly and there was a place he wanted to go specifically yeah. and you know and there was so much just hubbub around that that when he got to the lakers it was like well okay you better win now because there was just so much um everyone was so exhausted of of knowing that he wanted to go there and the push to get him there and you know how how taxing it was on uh, the pelicans yeah and it's and it's the same sort of thing here um james harden and it's like okay harden got his way you know a lot of people will look at that and and be annoyed um because people don't like super teams when they're formed no and uh and they'll be annoyed that he's there and they'll say okay well you know like you better win now because if you don't it's just going to be relentless mocking right it would have been the same thing with the warriors i mean when the warriors lost um up 3-1 in the finals against cleveland i mean they (laughs) like that they're never going to live that down um (laughs) cleveland fans that's like that's pretty much all they have. So they're never going to stop talking about that. Oh yeah. Um, so it's one of those things, right? So like the pressure is immediate that they, you know, they are a contender, I think, even though they have almost zero depth at this point, just, yeah, you know, that roster has been pretty depleted. Um, although, you know, they'll have other guys come and the bio market will be there and whatever. And they can maybe make some other moves if they need to. But yeah, that's a core that conceivably the talent is overwhelming that, you have to consider them a contender without even watching them play a single game together. That said, the pressure uh, sort of from a franchise perspective isn't immediate because one of the great things about acquiring James Harden was that, you know, he has multiple years left on his deal. So he's locked in, right? Yeah. You're going you're gonna to have Harden, you're going to have Kyrie, you're going to have Durant this year. You're also going to have Harden, Kyrie, and Durant next year. And then the year after that is when Harden has his player option on the final year of his deal. But so you are guaranteed another season. If it doesn't work this season, you can enter the off season. You can retool a little bit around these guys and you can try to go at it again uh, next season. And, you know, some of it sort of depends on, um, you know, if they lose and don't win the title, which is more likely than not, you know, how that happens, in what fashion that happens. When do they lose? Do they lose in the finals? Do they lose in the conference finals? You know, a lot of that stuff right. depends on the severity of the moves that a franchise is willing to make. So, and of course, the happiness level of the players and all that stuff. So a lot of it depends on on that. But um, yeah, so I guess the answer is, yeah, they're a contender, so they have pressure, but uh, the pressure to win this season, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's all going to come crumbling down if they don't win this year. glad that the Raptors swept Brooklyn when they could because those days for now anyway are all but over because of the obviously the top tier talent that Brooklyn now possesses and Toronto currently anyway doesn't look like a team that can can compete for top seeding in the east I would think you know those three Mm -hmm. wins on the season coming against New York Sacramento and then recently Charlotte and, and say what you will about losing by one 
to Portland and Golden State, there's still losses <laughs> at the end of the day. Do you mm-hmm. think this is kind of signaling the end of the Raptors as an upper echelon team in the East? Or is this just kind of a rough start to a season under obvious extraordinary circumstances? Yeah, it's really tough to answer. I feel like it's so tough to answer any questions around the Raptors this year because oh, of sure, all the, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just because of all the like, like you're saying, all the unquantifiable stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like if this team, if this, if COVID never happens, um, but all the moves in the NBA play out the same way, and this team starts the season in Toronto, are they three and eight right now? I don't know. Maybe. I don't. I don't. They might be. I don't think so. Probably. Um, they're probably a little better than that, but. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, the fact remains that they're not as good of a team as last season, but everybody kind of knew that coming in. Where it seems to be that everybody underestimated them was just in terms of, or overestimated them, was just in terms of uh, how much of a drop-off they would take. And I think it really is just a combination of all these factors of, yeah, Mark and Serge are gone, and that's obviously a big deal. But there's all these other things, uh, like playing in Tampa, you know, the short off-season turnaround, you know, uh, Siakam has been much better the last several games, but for a while there, I kept coming back to the fact that, you know, he had such a terrible uh, time in the bubble. You know, he mentioned that his mental health wasn't good, that he wasn't enjoying it. He wasn't having fun. Yeah. Um, he played a series against the Celtics, which was, you know, a brutal series, a seven-game series, really tough for him. They were a team that just were perfectly matched up to make things like, uh, to make life hard for him. And, um, you know, then he gets such a short off season and then it's right back to not only the next season, but Florida. <laughs> right. Yeah. So just like mentally, like that's gotta be really tough, man. And, and not only that, he's got all the pressure now of, I, th- I think most fans kind of look at him as the guy who needs to carry the team because um, not only does Kyle Lowry have sort of a lifetime pass now as the greatest Raptor of all time, <laughs> but also, you know, Kyle is 34 going on 35 still elite, um, but the Raptors' ceiling is dependent on Siakam's play. You know, the Raptors will never be, you know, again, I, I, I don't think they've played as awful as their record, but uh, I, I don't think they're a, necessarily an awful team. And I, I think a large part of that is just because Kyle Lowry is so good. So he kind of keeps you in that area. And, but in terms of getting better, it's it's got to be on Siakam and then Obviously, you know, the franchise uh, invested in Van Vliet in the offseason, so they're expecting growth from him, and he's been really good for the most part this season. And, yeah, so it kind of depends on those guys. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much stuff <laughs> this whole season. It's kind of like it boggles my mind sometimes when I'm trying to think about all the different things going into why the Raptors have started the way they have. Well, we want to be as positive as possible here on the podcast, and it, it does appear that Pascal Siakam is getting himself back into a rhythm, at least, after a pretty rough showing, like you said, in the NBA bubble you know, over mm-hmm. the last six games, Josh, I looked at his numbers recently, posting team-high 22.2 points and 9.2 rebounds while shooting 50% from the field. And he's also dishing out 5.8 assists per game. Mm-hmm. F- from what you've seen, Josh, just over this recent stretch, what has been there in his game that wasn't there in the bubble and, and to even to open the season? Because obviously, it's not just a change in attitude. He's obviously shown more confidence on the court. But what are you seeing specifically from Pascal that's led to this nice stretch for him? Yeah, I think part of it is um, 
I mean, some of it's always rotations, right? And we've seen that nurses mess around with rotations a lot this season. So some of it depends on who he's out there with. Uh, like last night, for example, against the Hornets on Thursday night, you know, the starting lineup had McNurse moved uh, Aaron Baines back into the starting lineup. And uh, you could see immediately that, uh, and he hasn't been in the starting lineup the last couple of games. And you could see immediately that it was tougher for Siakam to get into the paint, which he's been doing recently. Uh, yeah. because, Baines, because Baines is in there. He's a traditional center. I mean, that's it's not really on him, but that's kind of like what he does, right? So so I think part of it, honestly, uh, has been Siakam sort of like learning on the fly uh, to be more malleable with the lineups he's part of. And really that's culminated in terms of his uh, improved playmaking. And I really think that's been the thing that stood out to me the most with him this season is just, uh, you know, he's clearly worked on it. It was only like last season where it was at the point where like, you know, he's always had the ability to be a pretty good passer. And mm-hmm. last season he was very, very good at, you know, he was, it was the first season as the focal point on offense on the team. And uh, it was the first time he was seeing things like double teams and stuff like that. And so when guys would come over, um, he was, he got very good over the course of the season at sort of recognizing these situations and how to react to them. Yeah. And uh, so that was very promising. And the next step was always, Okay, so now he knows what these situations are like. He knows how to react to them properly. He knows, you know, what the best situation is following a play like that. And um, the next step is actual manipulation of the defense. So kind of like knowing how to create these things rather than reacting to them and uh, making the defenses work that way. And that's what he's done this season. And I think that's been really, really cool to see because he clearly recognized it, you know, watching film or whatever, um, even just over the shortened off season, something that he worked on. Um, but it was really apparent, uh, really, it's been apparent to most of this season, but especially like last night and in the game where he had his first career triple double, you know, he's just drawing like two, three guys to him now that he's started, you know, scoring uh, in, in the one-on-one situations and stuff a bit better again. And uh, he's drawing that attention. And now that he's got that attention again, he's just making the right play every single time. And like I tweeted about this earlier today, just that, uh, you know, his line last night, I think he had four assists on the box score. Yeah. But he actually generated 10 potential assists because a lot of those passes he made either ended up in being misses um, from teammates that were really good looks or they were like passes he, he kicked to the corner and then the guy made the next pass and it went up to the top of the arc and the guy scored from up there. So he was just, you know, he's creating... Uh, sort of an offense unto himself, which is, that's where the ceiling for the Raptors really is. I mean, in that triple-double game, it was like the first time I've seen a player who's not Kyle Lowry on the Raptors really just like control the game, <laughs> which was pretty cool because um, that's what Kyle's done for, for years now. Yeah. And um, seeing Siakam actually do it with his improved playmaking, um, with his ability to get on the glass and, you know, his uh, his realization of, how he can use his, you know, threat to attack, his threat to score as a way to create for others. This, which is something that DeRozan figured out in his final season with Toronto when he all of a sudden became an incredible playmaker and has never stopped since, has been really, really cool. Uh, and I think that's sort of turning him into a more well-rounded player. And, you know, I think Siakam still, despite all the other things we've talked about, is kind of like on his way to being the best version of himself that we've seen so far. Because he's also been great again on defense, which is which is nice to see because 
I think last season he lagged off a bit. Not that he was bad. He was good. He just, yeah. uh, you know, before, when he wasn't like the focal point on offense, it was a lot easier for him to be just <laughs> flying all over the floor because he could expend energy more that way. So so where, where was your head at when you were seeing the level of hate and, and criticism that Siakam was receiving mm. online as of late? Because especially after those two potential game winners didn't drop on the recent road trip because... We saw that video from Worldwide Wob spinning in his chair, of course, mocking Siakam's style of play. We even noticed some racist tweets were circulating, which is obviously on a much harsher scale. But this was all mm-hmm. coming at a time when Pascal was playing pretty damn well. So how did you take to that when you were seeing that may possibly show up on your Twitter timeline? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Like, I mean, I, 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 those are always the most silly things. I mean, it's one of the most frustrating things, uh, things I think about talking to a lot of fans is uh, there's this idea that, you know, if a game comes down to the final shot, for some reason, that single possession is what decided the game. Yeah. And, and from a certain perspective, yeah, you're right. If that shot had gone in, the outcome would have been different. Like everybody realizes that, but a single possession never is what determines a basketball game, right? There's, it's one of the most uh, interesting to me and also difficult things about watching and covering a basketball game is just that like, there's so much happening because there's so many possessions. Um, There's so many stretches of time, uh, which is why, you know, people, uh, one of the old adages is that it's a game of runs. And so that's, you know, just boiling it down to, we'll say I can miss the shot. So we should all criticize him. He's the reason we lost. Is just uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's really. insane. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's 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 pretty foolish, especially when you know for ninety nine percent of that game he was awesome and he was the reason they got to that point. Right? If he hadn't been that good, they wouldn't have had a one possession game. They wouldn't have had a chance to win. And on top of that, both of the looks Siakam had in both of those games were, uh, by all accounts, pretty good looks, considering he had to create them himself. And uh, as evidence of that, I mean, they were both like halfway down and they just spilled out at the end. And, you know, the ball moves a slightly different way, tilts more to the left than the right, whatever. Uh, those go down and this, this sort of conversation never happens at all. So, you know, I think, it's, I think it's much more important to be focused on, well, where was it in the game that the Raptors lost some significant minutes? Why did they lose those minutes? Uh, who, who was having a rough time during that period? Um, how can the Raptors alleviate that going forward? And, you know, if they can, hopefully they won't even be in that position next time and they'll just have, have won the game uh, by that point. But, you know, there's going to be those types of games no matter what going forward. And honestly, you know, especially with the way Sackens has been playing, you don't mind him taking those shots. So, yeah, I think the conversation around that kind of stuff is always um, a, little, a little frustrating and a little silly because... Yeah, there should be, honestly, zero blame with Siakam there. And, you know, sometimes you just miss, too. So that happens. I want to talk about Chris Boucher with you for a moment, Mm -hmm. Josh. A guy who, like Siakam, has kind of seemingly come out of nowhere. Although, you know, for for my stock anyway, I've been on the Chris Boucher bandwagon for a while now. So this start (laughs) to the campaign isn't that much of a surprise for me. Maybe the numbers that he's posting up uh, are a bit of a surprise. Uh, You know, a guy who, as of this recording, currently ranks third in the association in blocks, second in player efficiency. And he's also converting 47.5% of his three-pointers, which is just absurd to me, Josh. (laughs) Is, Is this the signs 
of a player making the most of an expanded role because obviously Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka are out of the picture right now, so the minutes are there for him to step up to this degree. Or is this kind of the start of something special and long-term for a guy that maybe a majority of us have underestimated and undervalued for a while now, if only because he was playing behind those veterans? I think he has sort of always had uh, the ability to get to this point. It's just been he had some things he had to figure out, I think, right? Like, I went to um, a couple seasons ago, like, I was going to a bunch of 905 games because I was living in Mississauga. Okay. And, um, I mean, and I watched Boucher quite a bit uh, when he was with the 905. And it was just so clear that he was too good to be there. Um, I mean, he was, he was just crushing everybody. I mean, he was the, you know, simultaneous MVP and defensive player of the year, uh, in that league for a reason. He was just so much better than most guys on any given night. And it was just, once he got to an NBA level, um, there were some certain things that you, you could tell he just, you know, maybe it was partly because the game was moving faster or whatever, that he wasn't quite quick enough, uh, uh, figuring some things out or reading the game or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's now pretty much developed to the point where he's figured those things out. Like it used to be everyone, everyone talks about this, but like he used to have the blinders on all the time on offense. You know, if he caught the ball, that thing was going up. And now you see him all the time. He'll catch the ball and he might have a decent shot, but he will pass the ball up for a better shot if it's available. He will look for guys on the wings in transition. Uh, he did it last night with Kyle Lowry that ended up being a three. You know, so, so that part of his game, uh, being helping him him grow overall as a player has been has been tremendous. You know, defensively, he's always been insanely long and and tall, and and the weight's been kind of an issue, right? Mm-hmm. You get the bigger you get the bigger guys who can kind of like push him around, but now he's sort of figured out just like how to be better positionally, and so it's making it's mitigating uh, the, the effects of those guys being big. I mean, there's still going to be guys who are bigger than him and stronger than him, but his length can kind of overcome some of that if he knows how to be there positionally. And, you know, he uh, is doing a better job at fouling less, uh, at just standing straight and being vertical, better at coming over as, on, as the helper on on, uh, on weak side and stuff like that. The rim protection has been really good. So, yeah, I mean, and, and in terms of just like the shooting and stuff, I mean, when you're shooting this hot, like he's not going to stay shooting this this hot, <laughs> but I mean, like I, he should be able to be like, you know, a, a dangerous threat out there. And if he's able to do that at all, especially when, you know, the uh, starting center, the former starting center in Baines uh, was, you know, that was something that we're looking forward to because he had a pretty good shooting year last season and he just hasn't had that this season. And having your five be able to shoot consistently from outside and just a modern day offense is so important these days that having him be able to do that consistently, like at, at this rate, it's just insane. But uh, having him to do that consistently for his full season, you know, at, at 30, even 36, 37% or whatever would be uh, just tremendous for this Raptors unit. Um, and he works, uh, and you know, because of that, it's, there's so many guys that work well with him because of those skills. I yeah. mean, Siakam is so much better when Boucher is on the floor because of all the spacing created and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's just been tremendous. I mean, uh, even the other part of it, like even the rolling to the rim has been better. Like he's getting to the foul line more uh, just by a pretty large degree. And I, I thought that's pretty impressive. He, he seems to be like, it's a little harder to tell when you have guys who's so lean, but he seems stronger this season too. He's been really great on the roll, even sometimes making passes, but also just getting to the line and, and getting points that way. And he's a good free throw shooter. So I think I, I mentioned this a little bit ago, uh, but I think he's 
he was he's like top 12 i think in the league in terms of like pick and roll possessions as the role man okay and but he's the most efficient like there's nobody in front of him on that list and this includes like anthony davis and guys like that um and they they're not generating as many points per possession as he is so he's just he's just been incredible in all those situations so and even in the game against charlotte last night i mean he saved the raptors bacon in the fourth quarter he was the guy who was scoring down the stretch and rebounding and and all that stuff for them so yeah he's been uh, just a revelation this season Unfortunately, the dream front court of Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam, and Giannis Antetokounmpo will never come to be, at least for the next five years anyway. I wanted to speak that into fruition on Twitter, but Giannis sticking around with Milwaukee uh, breaks my heart, to say mm-hmm. the least. But it's been a lot of fun to see Chris Boucher excel to the degree he has. And it's kind of fascinating, too, because I think a lot of Raptors fans were expecting OG and Anobi to be the one to take that, you know, maybe not see Akam-esque leap per se, but at least a sizable enough improvement that you could realistically have him in the most improved player race. Certainly from my perspective, I had Ananobi winning MIP this year, but for now anyway, it seems like Boucher has taken the ball and run with it in that regard. Josh, you know, defensively, Ananobi still plays like a guy with all defensive team potential, uh, but offensively, his shot has been extremely inconsistent, of course, barely connecting on a third of his three-point attempts. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you kind of grade OG's start to the season? A 5, I guess. Right. Like, I'm still right in the middle, and it's pretty much right in the middle just because he's still one of the Raptors' best defensive players. I mean, he, like, has to be on the floor, for example. Like, like when you're talking about crunch time, like, he just has to be out there for large stretches just because he's so good defensively. Oh, God, and I yeah. do. And I do think, like, especially, like, individual defense, but, I mean, like, I do think his off-ball defense has been a little not quite as good this season to start. And I'm not sure if that's partly a product of, you know, if, if like everybody else, he has some some mental stuff going on and, and just is, like, a, not always in as in the game as he was before mm-hmm. um, or whatever, but also just, uh, uh, you know, he's, like, it's just such a good, there's such a contrast in, in how good he is when he's one-on-one and just engaged with the guy who's right in front of him. So I think like that's also maybe falling off a little bit. Still really, really good and still incredible on ball. So either way, you kind of have to have him out there. But yeah, offensively, it's been rough because, you know, he's been a little better last couple games shooting, but you need the three-pointers from him at the least because, you know, in that sense, then he's what he's been the last few seasons, which is sort of an elite level uh, three and D guy. And, it, you know, those guys have a lot of value on any team. They're one of the most sought after sort of archetypes in the league. And uh, so him being able to do that is really important. But uh, yeah, I mean, the next step for him has always been being able to take the ball off the dribble a little bit more, creating in the mid range a little bit more, maybe running some pick and roll, some, you know, some stuff like that. Uh, and he's always been pretty good off ball on offense. Like he's a good cutter and, and things like that. Um, and he gets a lot of buckets that way, like cutting baseline and stuff. If uh, opponents forget about him when somebody draws attention in the paint and whatever. So it's kind of been about that. And I think a lot of people expected him to just sort of uh, take a leap in that area of his game. And that's what was going to be what pushed him into that sort of most improved conversation. And um, because, I mean, that's what we saw in the bubble, right? There was a lot of, there's a few games at the end of the regular season where he was 
doing some of that stuff. And everybody was like, oh my God, like, has he just spent the whole time in quarantine, like dribbling in his room and like <laughs> getting, getting better with his handle. And like, like, I don't know how he all of a sudden is able to do this. Like we saw him like a couple months ago and he couldn't do this. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of been flashes, uh, since then. And, uh, which we've seen before. And sometimes he looks really, really good. And then other times he sort of looks like maybe he's not entirely sure where he's going with what he's doing. And so I think it's one of those things where it's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just throw away the idea that he can't get there because he hasn't done it immediately. Like, I think, you know, some people are, well, I thought he was going to be, you know, the most improved player and he kind of looks the same. So, uh, we'll just write him off. But, you know, OG's still a pretty young guy and there's enough I think flashes of that sort of element of his game that we can be optimistic about him improving in there. And it also depends on how much sort of like opportunity he gets to do those things, which admittedly isn't always a lot, uh, especially like if he tries it and it doesn't go well. And then everybody's kind of like, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this when we're already losing games. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, this, this might not be the time to experiment with that, which is understandable. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm not super concerned about OG. The start to his season hasn't been great. Could definitely be worse. Um, I, I probably would have given like a lower number if he uh, if his shooting had continued to just be like abysmal. I mean, it was really really bad the first uh, yeah. several games, but it, it's picked up the last few. So um, it sort of looks like it's evening out a bit. So he's kind of back to that three and D sort of uh, sort of level. So hopefully, uh, at the least, he can kind of float in that area and then continue to improve as the season goes along. I had Amon from the Dishes and Dimes podcast uh, on my mm -hmm. show for my last episode, and she had this hot Twitter take that OG Ananobi oh, would finish the season better than the fourth best Raptor on the team. And that was obviously taking into account that, you know, you would need Siakam or Lowry or Van Vliet to kind of fall off, fall down in the pecking order for Ananobi to move up. And now mm -hmm. you have to also play take into account that Chris Boucher is having the season that he has do you mm -hmm. think that's kind of an obtainable goal for for OG to be better than the fourth best Raptor on this team or is it just out of reach considering how well everyone else is playing yeah that's tough I mean he's not going to be better than Lowry this season for sure he's not going to be better than Siakam and I don't think he's going to be better than Fred that's pretty difficult too because Fred's been really really good to start yes all-star um yeah all-star level and he's also like He's improved some areas of his game too, which are which he needs to work on, continue to work on. So that's been exciting there. So there's at least three guys that he's not gonna surpass. And then and then I guess it can get more interesting because some people might have had OG pegged as the fourth best raptor before the season started. I probably would have too, I think. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm forgetting somebody. But yeah, so now Boucher though has clearly to this point in the season, he's taken that role and I don't think anybody really saw that coming necessarily. I totally I can totally see that like making sense. Like I can see that happening in terms of the prior to the Boucher explosion, that that could be an attainable goal, uh, goal for OG. Not sure it will happen now. Um, just because like Chris Boucher feels like the kind of dude who when he gets on a roll like this, it like, it just doesn't stop. Like he, he was so confident when he was missing three pointers in the past, like, and just, uh, you know, breaking shots and it didn't matter. Like he was, he was going to hoist them up and now he's kind of figured a lot of stuff out and the shot is going. Yeah. And he, he's got the opportunity and the team, not only does he have the opportunity, but the team needs him. Like they rely on him. Like they, again, they don't win last night's game without him. Like that's a lot of confidence, you know, to be given from uh, the rest of your team. And, uh, you know, when you were, you were playing in the G League when a lot of these guys were winning an NBA title, 
you know, so that that's really cool to have those guys be like, you know, we really need you. Yeah. Um, you got to keep playing like this. And so I, I just feel like with all that kind of stuff behind him, like he's primed to continue to keep doing this. So, I mean, there'll be some things where it's like, yeah, again, like the shooting from three, it won't be like 47% or whatever for the whole season. But a lot of the things he's doing are definitely things he can do consistently to sort of maintain this higher level that we're seeing him at. And if he kind of keeps at any semblance of what we're watching right now, then I think it's pretty tough for OG to surpass that, especially just because he's improved. Like, it's not like he's improved on one end where he's just shooting better and he's getting to the free throw line and, and dunking and all that stuff. But he's also been so good defensively as the back line. I, I think that's sort of where the gap lies between him and OG is just would OG be able to like, you know, improve enough offensively that he's sort of in that conversation of just surpassing him throughout the course of the season. And I'm, I'm not sure that uh, he's going to be able to do that again, just like with the opportunity and stuff he's going to get this year. Well, Kawhi Leonard light uh, is the ultimate goal for OG <laughs> Ananobi. Uh, I've, I've said mm-hmm. that many times on this podcast. I, I don't know if he can reach those heights, but fingers and toes crossed uh, on that front anyway. But Josh, we're coming to a close here, buddy. But before I let you go, as I do with all of my guests here on the Walder Sportscast, I have some fun, rapid-fire questions to send you on your way. Nice. So I'm curious, Josh, what was your phone like the day you posted your now infamous meme of Tyler Hero's snarl and that of a cat, which I assume the cat isn't yours, right? No, it's not mine. Okay, so it's, how, how cool was it to see the meme on, discussed on the jump, of course, and I think Rachel Nichols uh, shared it on Twitter as well. Yeah, yeah, she did. It was weird. It was weird. It was it was funny because yeah, that's just a random photo of a cat. It's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I went so so here's like the story behind this, right? Uh, I'm watching this game, the world's watching this game, and Hero does his infamous snarl, baby snarl thing, and and it was hilarious to me and it was to many people because he hit like what like a bucket or something and it was yeah. doing the snarl and I was like, oh my god! And when I saw that. I don't anymore, but when I was a kid, I had a dog, right? Mm-hmm. And she and she was a bit of a like a snaggle tooth or whatever they call it. So she, so she always had like yeah, so she always had like her bottom couple teeth were kind of like they would like if she would like move her lips in any certain way, they would stick out and it would look like she's doing a little snarl, but she wasn't like upset or anything. Okay. So so I immediately thought of that when I saw him, and so I initially went searching for a photo of a dog making that face, and um, because I'd seen a dog do it, so I was like, I know dogs do this. Like it's yeah. just it, it looks like that, and then it, I couldn't find one, which was kind of weird to me. And instead, I come across this photo of this cat <laughs> that's doing almost the exact same thing as Tyler Hero, and I was like, okay, well this is too perfect. This is hilarious. And I'm just going to tweet this without any context. I'm just going to put the photos next to each other and I'm going to let the internet have fun with it. Like, I mean, like, I, I think uh, one of my Raptors Republic friends, uh, Samson uh, folk, he, like, it was like two minutes into me posting it and he commented on it being like, I, I kind of like, I posted it and I actually went to the bathroom or something. Like, I left it and I uh, came back and there was uh, uh, like a comment on my phone on the alerts from uh, Samson and he said that, like, oh, this has like, 200 week retweets in like 30 seconds and uh 
like the likes haven't caught up yet. This is about yeah. to like, this is about to explode. <laughs> and, um, and I was getting so many notifications that my phone like couldn't keep up. So I would like look at my phone and my phone would actually tell me that like I had no notifications <laughs> mm-hmm. because there were so many. And uh, so yeah, so then I, then everything just starts happening. And um, I actually just like, I just like couldn't look at my phone for the next few hours, but it was hilarious because I started getting like, you know, like texts from people being like, oh my God, like you're, you did the, you did the Tyler Hero cat meme. And I was like, is this a thing? Like this happened five minutes ago. Yeah, it was pretty insane. It got to the point where Rachel Nichols found it and had it on the jump. And I got to watch the little jump segment um, with my tweet popping up and my face in the corner of the tweet on the screen. And that'll probably be the closest I ever come to actually being on the jump. But it was pretty neat. Uh, and she shouted me out afterwards on Twitter and stuff for uh, for credit and all that. And it was on Instagram and whatever. And yeah, it was it was pretty weird but cool way to have my first interaction with. Uh, media to that degree. Well, the goal of any meme is to go as mainstream as possible, and uh, you certainly did that with with the cat. It was uh, one of the better memes uh, of the past year. But uh, Josh, I ask everyone this on the podcast, and it would be even more helpful now since free time, as unfortunate as it may be, has sprung up for a lot of people. I'm curious mm-hmm. as to what you find yourself binge watching these days, and if you have any shows you would like to recommend. Ooh. Okay. Well, I, I've been binge watching um, a few things. And I feel like some of the things I'll mention are just like so mainstream that people will mostly have seen it. Like, um, I watched The Queen's Gambit okay. in, in like, I don't know, like a day or two days or whatever. Like, cause it's like seven episodes, but they're each like an hour long. Um, but like, that was, I think, honestly, one of the best shows I've watched in the past, I don't know, like five years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that show's incredibly good. Um, it even gives you a little bit of like the sports um, satiation with just like chess being involved and in the and sort of the machinations of, of a game and, and all that being uh, involved in it so there's that hyper competitive aspect to the show and stuff so um, if you're a big sports person uh, like we are then that's definitely like a good show to uh, to binge um, yes. I'm trying to think of like what else I mean uh, the Mandalorian of course um, oh, yeah. I feel like I'm growing as a Star Wars fan which is weird uh, like I, I was never a big Star Wars fan as a kid, but having watched that show, I felt nostalgic all the same anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so that was great. And um, I mean, the MCU stuff starts like this weekend, right? Yeah, I think. WandaVision like, is out today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, I'm definitely gonna be binging that as well. Uh, if, if I'm not sure how they're releasing it, maybe they might be doing like an episode a week or something like The Mandalorian, but- um, It's uh, two episodes actually. Okay. Okay, so I mean, I'm gonna be watching those two and then I'll be watching as the rest go along, but pretty much all that kind of stuff, is typical stuff is, is what I'm binging, yeah. I think each episode of WandaVision is 20 minutes, so two episodes a week feels pretty oh. standard. Uh, I, I hope it's great because it's, I've seen commercials coming out of the wazoo every time I turn on the TV, so this better be great. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm optimistic, the MCU hasn't let me down yet, but um, Josh, yeah. you know, I, on Twitter, I kind of have a, a post-game shtick after every Raptors game where I kind of go over the record, what it could be if the Raptors win out for the rest of the season, which they never do. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I do this to myself, but for you, <laughs> on your Twitter account, you have a pre-game shtick that you do, and it's it's tweeting out, let's Raptors basketball before every game. How long does that line go back for you, and have you considered any other line or phrase that you would even consider tweeting out before a Raptors game? It's weird. I mean, honestly, I think I think it was the first year that I joined Raptors Republic. What's that, like four years ago now, maybe? All right. So, yeah, I started back then, and I think I, 
I think I started it because um, some of the people I had just met there, who I know much better now, including Samson Folk, including Lewis Satzman, Matt Chance, Anthony Doyle, um, I think we'd had some kind of like conversation on Twitter and there was some kind of like joking around and somebody said the line and I don't think it was me. Um, <laughs> And somebody said it, and I can't remember exactly why. And I was like, that's like a fun little, like, just, you know, kind of a nonsensical line that, like, you know, me as an as a English major or whatever, just looking at it, it kind of makes me, like, smile every time I, I look at it because it doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense. But it's, it's, it's fun, and it's got a little ring to it, and it's short, and it's sweet, and it gives this sense of, like, togetherness. And, and so it's sort of become, like, a pregame ritual that... I also feel like even just on its own, when I tweet it out, it kind of helps me lock in. Like right. this is what I'm, you know, this is what I'm doing for the next two and a half hours, trying to watch this game intently, trying to say some interesting things on here, you know, have fun with everybody else, uh, make this a good community sort of experience, post some interesting stats, whatever. And so it just sort of became a thing that I, I tweeted it like once or twice, and then, you know, people would like it or whatever and be like, oh, that's kind of a nice little thing. And um, I, th I think there was like one, one, one or two games like in the first year that I was doing it because I, I think I watched almost every game live that year. And there was one or two games where I couldn't. And like I got a bunch of tweets coming, uh, coming my way after I came back from whatever I was doing. And they were like, where was your Let's Raptors basketball tweet? Like I didn't see it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I, people care about this apparently. <laughs> um, so then I, so I kind of become the de facto uh, uh, tweeter of that line, I suppose. And so I try to do it before every Raptors game now. Well, you stop doing it for one game and it feels like the world is coming to an end, you know? You got to bring the consistency <laughs> for Toronto Raptors Twitter. They expect the goods and uh, when you don't deliver, it, it's a massive deal. But uh, keep going with it, man. You've, you've brought it along this far and uh, so don't stop now. Here on the Walder Sportscast, of course, we like to spread the love as I do during halftime of most Toronto Raptors games. I try to shout out another Twitter account. So, Josh, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you to do the same here, buddy. Give me one or two accounts on social media that you feel deserve some recognition. Oh, wow. I'm trying to, uh, so most of the ones that will pop to mind immediately are, well, if I have pretty good followings. Um, give them some more followers. You can never have too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I, I have probably too many followers for what I do. Um, but okay, so here, for example, I mentioned, I already mentioned his name, right? But Louis Zatzman is sort of, Ever since uh, Blake Murphy, who is with The Athletic, yeah. um, you know, left to go there um, and have his full-time job with The Athletic, uh, Lewis has pretty much taken on the mantle as the face of uh, Raptors Republic, along with, uh, along with Samson. And so, you know, he's covering the games like media. I mean, he is media. He's, uh, he's going to the games. Um, he's in the, in the, in the virtual scrums. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's asking nurse questions. You know, I, I got to go uh, with him to a bunch of games uh, when I was basically beat reporting the Raptors for their .com last year for a month, a little over a month. Okay. Um, you know, it's, I, I got to sit with him in some of those scrums and the questions he asks are incredible. Like if you want to learn how to ask a good journalistic question, I mean, just try to listen and uh, see if you can hear, you know, on TV or whatever, if they say, um, you know, this is Louis Aspen from Raptors Republic asking the question, listen to his question because they're always so incredibly worded he's a really good writer obviously he's become a uh, much better writer he, he does something like just insane article like insane things for articles like he yeah. watches like every single pick and roll and then he'll write about it which is just 
brutal. Crazy. Um, crazy stuff like that. So if you can find him on Twitter, I'm looking at his Twitter account now. He has almost uh, 1,800 followers. Yeah, if you could get him to that mark at least, that'd be kind of neat. But uh, yeah, he's, he's great. Um, he's definitely one of the brighter minds covering uh, Raptors basketball right now. So if you're listening to this and that's the team that uh, you support and you want to uh, have more uh, great coverage from, then it's definitely worth giving Lewis a follow. So I'll shout out him as uh, one of the accounts. So unfortunately, you haven't posted an episode of your Writer's Right podcast for a while now. I think Mm -hmm. June was the last episode that you had. And if you remember, because each episode essentially covers a writer and a specific piece that they wrote, and I would like to think that shows like that are pretty timeless. Is there an episode Mm -hmm. of your podcast that you would recommend listeners go out of their way to check out? Yeah, it's funny because I was recently on the um, From the Stands podcast that you were also on, I think, recently. Good guys. Um, Which, uh, yeah, those guys too. If you, uh, they're... uh, fairly new I think so if you haven't followed them too I go give them a good follow and they asked me like the same thing they were like uh, how come you haven't uh, posted a, a podcast and like what's you know your favorite and who would you like to have on and all that stuff and um, it's funny because I've had more people ask me about the podcast than I ever would have expected I wasn't sure how much people actually liked the podcast I more did it because uh, I was trying to get better at actually uh, talking as I've always been more of a writer than a speaker and uh, also just because uh, I love writing and I, I like bringing people on to talk about writing and actually hear them talk about their process behind writing is something that I've always been fascinated in because you'll hear people go on podcasts and they give their opinions or they talk about the piece and what the actual content is and I like to talk about that too but um, it's always interesting hearing about how people, what their background is with writing and how they actually go about it and all that stuff. And really the only reason I've kind of stopped and haven't done it for so long is just because of uh, all the things going on in my personal life and uh, the pandemic. And uh, I think I've moved a couple times in that span and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's not necessarily dead. I've had more people again ask me about it than I would have expected. So (laughs) it may make a revival. Um, But if I had to pick one episode from the ones that exist to go listen to, uh, honestly, I go back to I mean, either one, either one of the uh, Mirror and Fader episodes. I think the, fir- the very first one we ever did was on her feature on Brandon Ingram uh, from 2018, I think. Okay. Yeah, and uh, this was before, this was like when he was in the most approved conversation um, before he became sort of a focal point of the offense for the Pelicans. And then the other one uh, we did was about uh, Giannis's younger brother, the youngest Antetokounmpo, um, I think was maybe the title of her piece. She was excellent. I mean, she's even even she's blown up even more yeah. uh, since since I talked to her there. She's incredible. I really think she's one of the best, not just sports writers. I think she's one of the best writers working out there. Um, she's an incredible journalist. She gets incredible quotes. She really, really cares about the job. She's an incredibly nice human being, very generous with her time, and a really thoughtful writer, very, very thoughtful about the craft uh, and, and the process of, of getting to where she wants to go, of um, you know structuring storytelling, of telling what she needs to just write, um, of painting an accurate picture, um, of sort of like grasping a moment in time and giving life to it and recognizing that that's all you can really do with everything that you're, you're creating when you're profiling someone or, or something like that. And so uh, I think those episodes really highlight some of the best of what I tried to do with that podcast was, you know, just bring on a writer and and really dive into, uh, you put one word in front of the other and sometimes you create magic. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to do with that podcast. 
and check out my episode as well, which I, I listened to recently and uh, made me realize and be grateful that I've since invested in a half-decent mic because, my <laughs> God, uh, that, that was some brutal audio from my part anyway. But uh, no, I, I bring it up because I really enjoyed uh, my time on that show and I remember it fondly and I'm glad to hear that mm-hmm. you do have plans to uh, bring it back. And there's a reason that people bring it up to you uh, on the regular. So whenever you do uh, decide to get back into podcasting, you have a listener in me, my friend. I appreciate that, man. I mean, the, the episode that we have is great too. I mean, pretty much everyone I brought on is excellent. Uh, so many good guests. I mean, we went from like Lewis, we, I just mentioned as a shout out, he was on a couple times. I had you on, I had Blake Murphy on. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had guys from, from different parts of sports, NBA, Twitter. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just so that I wasn't just talking about Raptors necessarily, but also talking about, you know, I had some really great conversations with guys talking about the Sixers, like Tom West. Um, he lives in the UK, so I also just got to listen to his British accent, which was great. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, like just so many good people. And and you're right, the, it, it's it's a cool thing that you know with a podcast like that, it's it's really evergreen because people are just constantly creating great content and there's always so much great writing out there. You know, some of it doesn't always get appreciated as much as it should because there's just such a glut of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was always cool to highlight, you know, something that I thought was, was great and, and bring on people that I know uh, were great writers and even just have them expound upon, you know, that what, what that's like for them and uh, kind of compare myself in terms of uh, experience with them and just have those conversations of like this is how i see this and this is how you see this and that's really fascinating i never thought about this and uh yeah so just a a bunch of bunch of great people on on all the episodes shout out to tom west because everything does sound better with a british accent i'm sure that would uh improve the quality (laughs) of my my podcast exponentially but uh josh one final question for you what is one preseason prediction for this season that you made that's already looking like a total waste? Well, I did a preseason power rankings for Sportsnet, and this was yeah, this was this is before any preseason games had actually been played. Okay. So, so this is like just the rosters going off the rosters, but um, I mean, I had I had the Raptors fourth in the East, uh, not, yeah. <laughs> uh, not looking so great right now. Not now, uh, anyway. Not now. Um, I didn't have the Warriors making the playoffs at all, uh, and they're right. they're looking they're looking pretty good. Um, I think I had the Suns in the eighth spot, and they've looked better than that. Yes. Um, so yeah, a bunch of uh, I mean, those things are always so hard to predict. But I usually feel like I usually get the majority of them right, and I think this year I've got the majority of them wrong. So <laughs> those <laughs> predictions are all over the place. Uh, but yeah, I mean Brooklyn too, right? Like I, I had them like sixth in the East because I wasn't sure like what Kevin Durant would look like. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, now they have James Harden. They're probably not going to wind up being six of the East. Yeah, go figure. Um, uh, the Rockets are, who knows if they're even going to make the playoffs. They might now, who knows. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so all of those are probably, you can look at, go back and look at those and be like, wow, like these are just a relic, a relic of the recent past. It feels like ages ago, but <laughs> it was only like a month ago and they're probably all all wrong already. So that's, uh, I guess that's sports and uh during a global pandemic, though. Yeah, it's it's such a weird season, and if there was ever a season not to be perfect, uh, it would certainly be this one. But uh, when it comes to perfection, <laughs> it doesn't get more perfect than your appearance here on the podcast, buddy. Thank you so oh. much for for joining me on the show today. You're you're putting in the work to make a name for yourself, and it's been fun kind of seeing you carve out a space for yourself. 
Before we sign off, though, let the listeners know where they can find you on the web. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I just want to say it's an honor to come on to, for sure. Like I, I mentioned before, I mean, you had, you've had so many great guests on here. It's pretty cool to just uh, be a part of it. And um, I mean, I think since day one that I've been on Twitter, pretty, pretty close to it. I mean, I've been following you because you're one of the Twitter OGs, as I like to say, uh, <laughs> particularly of Raptors Twitter, um, you know, built yourself a following. And uh, I know firsthand how difficult it is to do that. Um, as do a lot of people. So uh, always great to interact with you, to talk to you. I'm glad to see you're still connected to sports here um, and doing this podcast. And it's been a joy to listen to. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. I really appreciate that. Um, and as for uh, where you can find me, uh, I'm on Twitter at Howvolution. As always, you can find me there tweeting nonsensical slash sensical things, <laughs> um, mostly about the Raptors and uh, you can find, yeah, most of my written work now is on sportsnet.ca. So you can go find uh, my articles there. You can just search up uh, my name and find my author profile there. And that's how you'll find me. Thanks again for the kind words, Josh. I really appreciate it. All the best to you. And let's do this again soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you. And that was my interview with Joshua Howe. Go give him a follow on Twitter at HowEvolution. That's H-O-W Evolution. I'm truly flattered by his kind words there at the end. He was genuinely happy to be a part of the distinguished guests that I've had on this podcast, and he certainly knows his Raptors basketball. I mean, he was afraid he'd ramble on and on, but he's extremely knowledgeable, and this podcast is always about showing off the guests, so I think the interview was great. This has been episode 28 of the Walder Sportscast. Go ahead and leave a rating and review if you like what you heard today. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podbean, or anywhere that you download your shows. I'm going to do my very best to get out one show per week for the foreseeable future. And Vince Carter, if you're listening, let's get you on the podcast. That's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.